Hey, this is Mike, a marijuana addict who lives in Washington, D.C. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I will preface this by saying that I was uh, born into a, uh, a, a family that was German on my father's side and Irish on my mother's side. And I was uh, raised by a lot of, uh, of uh, Irish Catholics, uh, many of whom had known uh, the people who had originally immigrated from Ireland in my family. And so, you know, I was steeped in a, in a particular tradition and in uh, a way of seeing the world. And uh, I, I grew up in the Midwest until I was seven. And then my family moved to California and... You know, I was a uh, pretty pious kid and um, very uh, prayerful and uh, very devoted to my faith. And, uh, and, and that is a theme that actually uh, comes up over and over again in my story. But um, to make a long story short, you know, I, I, uh, I grew up in a family of alcoholics. And I also grew up in a family of people who had a tradition of, uh, of, uh, of getting sober. So um, one of my uh, one of my grandfathers uh, was a good friend of Bill Wilson. Well, not a good friend, but he was a very, uh, I mean, a very amicable relationship with Bill Wilson. Bill Wilson had stayed at his house, and um, and my grandfather was on the board of directors of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I grew up with uh, recovery around me, but I also grew up with uh, a lot of uh, people who were, uh, you know, bent around the uh, axle. Uh, using uh, whatever substances they get their hands on. But I actually managed uh, to get through my uh, my childhood and my adolescence without using anything. And when I was 18 years old, I decided that I was going to join a Roman Catholic religious order and be uh, and study to be a priest. And I did that. I entered the, the Society of Jesus, which is uh, commonly known as the Jesuits. Uh, and, uh, and I was in the Jesuits for about six years. And I started drinking when I was in the society. And from the moment that I uh, started drinking, I drank alcoholically. So uh, I'm not going to make this a drunk log. I just want you to know that I had problems with substances uh, from the first time that I ever used it. But I also had uh, grown up in a, um, in a family that had some history of recovery. And so when I recognized that things were really beginning to fall off the map, and they were really beginning to fall off the map, I left the society. Um, I'm gay, and my being gay had a lot to, to do with that, but my drinking probably had a lot more to do with that. Um, and while I was drinking, uh, and while I was in the Jesuits, my brother, who was a stoner, uh, gave me my first experience with marijuana, which is, uh, and I didn't particularly like it, and and it wasn't really my thing. Uh, alcohol was my thing. And um, I got into AA. I stayed. Uh, I got a lot of friends in AA. Uh, and I um, managed to put together varying periods of time. One time uh, when I had eight years uh, clean from alcohol, I uh, slipped. And I slipped on crystal meth. And, uh, but I knew that I loved that stuff well that it was just too good. And so I had been around recovery for a little while, and I knew that I couldn't do that again, uh, that I, my, my life would be down a uh, rabbit hole in no time whatsoever. 
so fortunately that was a rabbit hole I didn't go down um but basically i uh you know with uh a couple of little things not little things significant things like that, I managed to stay uh clean and sober up until um until nineteen ninety six and then I went on a trip to Australia and I met this guy who really was putting a lot of pressure on me to drink and he was a stoner as well. And he put a lot of pressure on me to use marijuana and I, and I use marijuana and um, it just didn't go well. I mean, I was, uh, I mean, I was like flipping out. I was, I was having, uh, you know, uh, hallucinations and I, I had this, uh, notion that I had to uh, lie down on the floor and not um, and not stand up because if I did, I was tempted to go into the kitchen and get a knife and uh, and uh, and kill this guy <laughs> because anyway, because he was messing up my sobriety. <laughs> I mean, that was just anyway. So my experience with marijuana was actually pretty bad. Uh, the first time that I, I, you know, the earliest times that I used it. And I didn't use it anymore. I got uh, I got sober when I got back to the United States from that vacation, and I managed to put uh, a lot of sober time together. Uh, and I'll fast forward to 2016, um, because in 2016, I actually, um, unbeknownst to me, I mean, I didn't even really, I mean, I, I was pretty naive about it, to be honest with you. I mean, nowadays, now, with the experience that I've gotten as a marijuana addict, I'd recognize a drug dealer, like, you know, from like five feet away. But at the time, I mean, I, I just didn't have a clue. And this guy asked me if he could uh, rent a room for me. And I uh, I said, sure, you can rent a room for me. And, uh, and I knew that he smoked marijuana. And I didn't bother to tell anybody in, uh, among my sober friendships that, uh, that uh, I had a drug a guy who was using marijuana living in my house. I I actually didn't know how he made a living um, until uh, I discovered that he had uh, marijuana, like, you know, like probably two or three pounds of marijuana uh, in my house, in, in his bedroom. And uh, that was basically how he made his living. And uh, it was all had, it all had been very mysterious to me. I mean, the guy did uh, pay his rent, uh, such as it was. And um, in any event, I um, I didn't tell anyone that I had a drug dealer living in my house. And uh, and that situation went on for a number of months. And then one evening, he was texting me that he was about to come home. And uh, I said to him, would you um, be surprised or upset or would you be okay with my actually uh, get, taking a hit of uh, weed when you get, get home? This was J- uh, July of 2016, so this was five years ago. And he actually kind of, to his credit, he kind of tried to talk me out of it. Um, but I, um, you, know, I was, I, you know, I had made the decision that I was going to do this. And so, uh, you know, so I got, um, so when he got home, he got me high. And he kept me high all night, and I became a very good customer of his. He didn't stay in my house all that long, to be honest with you. I mean, it was just, it was just very problematic in many, many respects. And I actually was, in my mind, I was, you know, I was using marijuana every single day. 
uh, every evening. Uh, I wasn't telling anybody in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, which I've been a member of for quite a long time, that I was uh, that I had decided to sign on to the marijuana maintenance plan. But that, in fact, is what had happened. And uh, I was convinced that if I got him out of the house, that I would stop using. So I I actually eventually got him out of my house. Like uh, I started using it in in July, and I got him out in early April. And uh, and I was glad he was gone, and it was a good thing for him and for me that he was gone. But um, in any event, he. Um, and so he was gone, and I, and I expected that I was going to be able now just to stop smoking marijuana, but uh, I was not able to sm- stop smoking marijuana. And he was still willing to sell weed to me, and so I had him. And then I had met a couple other guys who sold weed, and uh, and I was able to get it from them. So I, you know, and I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a professional guy, and I have a, a decent income. And, you know, I was able to afford a lot of weed, a lot of really good weed. And um, and I kept my uh, refrigerator pretty stocked up. And I met this uh, one uh, weed connoisseur who was, uh, who was a pusher who introduced me to all kinds of things like, you know, THC concentrates and what he called pure and, and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I mean, I was really getting very heavily into using uh, some really very strong uh, substances, and um, and I had enough experience in recovery to know that my life was really disintegrating right in front of my eyes. So at one point, I decided that I was going to fess up and tell my sponsor what was going on, and I did. And I told uh, I told uh, you know I got honest, and I told a number of people in Alcoholics Anonymous who were close to me. But, you know, I had um, very serious time in terms of, like, not drinking alcohol, which I still do. I actually haven't had a drink of alcohol since 1996. But uh, I didn't change my sobriety date. And that was a huge mistake. And after I fessed up to it to, like, a small cadre of my closest friends, like five or six people, you know, I really stopped talking about it. And I didn't really – I wasn't really honest with uh, people – letting them know what it had happened. And uh, I mean, that's, just a big, that's a big problem because um, in, in, in 12-step programs, the way that we get sober is by sharing our experience, strength, and hope, by being radically honest with, with each other, by letting people know what's going on with me. And, uh, and, I was not radically honest because I said that I, that I had been, um, that I, that my sobriety date was in February 1996, when in fact, actually, I think what was, it was something like uh, August 2017 or something like that, or 2018 or something like that. And, um, and uh, no, it was August 2016. So, I actually started using marijuana after about six weeks, and I was calling into meetings on this line, but I wasn't really sharing or identifying uh, anybody. I was just listening and not, not, like, joining the group and becoming an active participant in my own sobriety. And um, 
and I just stopped calling in. And after a while, I um, there had been this like a little uh, there had been this little um, uh, um, what do we call a small joint that's like almost uh, whatever it is. I <laughs> I've forgotten all the. I've forgotten all the uh, the nomenclature, but I had I had I shared I had I had left a little tiny uh, joint like you know maybe like uh, an eighth of an inch or a quarter of an inch in my car, which I had never quite brought myself to throw away, and I was on uh, I was in um, I was <laughs> a pinner <laughs> I was in. Um, I was in my bed and I was like looking at, uh, actually I was looking at pornography to be honest with you. And I was getting kind of jacked up on, on, uh, on the idea of like, I don't know, like getting high. And I, and I, and I knew I had this uh, pinner down in my, uh, in my car and I ran down to the car at maybe like three o'clock in the morning and I smoked it and I got a little buzz off of it. There wasn't much left. And all I could think about for the rest of the night, I mean, I barely slept. I mean, I was I was texting my dealer who was, I mean, he was asleep at the middle of the night. He was asleep and he had turned off his phone. I was texting my dealer and I couldn't, um, couldn't get a hold of him. Anyway, I texted several dealers and, and in the morning I didn't want to offend any of them. So I bought weed from, from all of them. <laughs> So I had a right good supply, and uh, you know, I, I uh, had gotten. Uh, I ran over to the head shop, and I got myself a new pipe, and I was ready to go. And I smoked weed for another year, and I, you know, it was uh, totally, just totally lived this other life that was completely divorced from all of my friends, you know, who were sober. I was still going to two or three meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous every week because I know that I'm an alcoholic and and during the midst of all of this I didn't want to drink because I just knew that that would be like you know I mean I'd be dead you know just there would be no way to get myself through it so um but I was watching myself in decline you know I was a regular user of marijuana uh if I could manage it uh manage my schedule I mean I I do have friends and I did have commitments and uh, for part of the time after I uh, started smoking again, um, I, you know, I did have these, uh, uh, you know, I had a job that I had to go to and stuff like that. And um, and so I would smoke at night when I got home. And actually, after a while, I started to, like, bring weed in my car because uh, as soon as I would get off from, from work, I would uh, stand on the... Uh, I mean, although I was in a professional office building, they had a loading dock, and I would go out there uh, on the loading dock, and I would, uh, which was, you know, kind of obscured from from everything, but, you know, I could have gotten in trouble. I mean, somebody could have seen me, and I would smoke weed on the, on the, on the, on the, before I got in my car to drive home for the 30 miles in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area during rush hour. So I had to like measure to make sure that I got high enough that I wasn't jonesing on the way home all the way, but that I didn't get so high that I wouldn't be able to navigate the roads. And I can't tell you how many times 
I drove when I was high, and I can tell you that um, that I am a really bad driver when I'm really, really high. I mean, there were – I'm laughing, but, I mean, I'm thinking of one particular time when um, – um, I mean, I, like, could not see the – I was so high I couldn't see the uh, the lines on the road. And I was on uh, the Beltway, which is a freeway, which is the madcap crazy freeway that was designed in the 50s and just isn't, you know, up to snuff in terms of the, uh, the engineering to be able to handle the way that people drive in, uh, in, uh, in, in the early 21st century. So, you know, and I'm – I'm like driving on the freeway completely like praying all the way, all the way uh, home, begging God that, you know, like, God, if you get me home, I'm just going to quit. I promise I'm going to quit. Please, please don't let me get in an accident. Please, this would be such a disaster. I'd lose my job. I'd lose my house. I'd lose my car. I'd lose, you know, I'd have to like get into a treatment program. God forbid. Uh, I mean, it would just be a mess, and, um, and somehow I did get home, and I didn't quit. I didn't quit smoking, but my life was in decline. And uh, eventually, I uh, quit this job that I had, which was a very, you know, a high-paying professional job. And um, I just, you know, I got mad at my coworker one day because because they were ticked off with me, and then I just quit. I just, I mean, I don't know. I mean, someone was ticked off with me, and I just quit. <laughs> but anyway, what I did was I took all of my money out of my uh, out of my retirement account, and uh, and I burned through it. I, I burned through it with uh, with uh, lots of uh, of weed infused adventures that were absolutely uh, batshit crazy, insane, and um, and really just you know. I mean, I was becoming um, demoralized, debauched, depraved. I just, you know, I did not like what I was becoming. And I, I did mention at the beginning that, uh, that, that I do, um, I have a very long-term relationship with the higher power of my understanding. And, uh, and I was so ashamed of the way that I was and of what I was becoming and of how I was behaving and how duplicitous my life was and what a liar I was to, to everyone around me because I was totally making excuses for not showing up or, you know, uh, or being late or like not fulfilling obligations or whatever, whatever was on my plate that, um, that, um, you know, I, I just couldn't face my higher power. And so I had this uh, long-term uh, hiatus in my relationship to my higher power. But I will say this, that my higher power did not have a long-term hiatus in my higher power's relationship to me. Um, I actually eventually burned through all my money, uh, very quickly, actually. It was just, I mean, it was scandalous the way that I spent my money. It was just, I mean, it was just head over I mean, it was just like water. It just evaporated. It, it just was insane. And I knew it was insane. And I, you know, I I had enough introspection to recognize that this was totally unmanageable and my life was out of control. Um, 
but I ran out of money and I needed to get a job. And fortunately I am really good at what I do. And uh, I just tossed some resumes out there. I like probably, I mean, not a lot. And I, all of a sudden I had an interview and, and, uh, and then I had another interview and then I had a job within a month, uh, you know, uh, after I had uh, begun applying for jobs. And one of the agreements that I had to sign when I became an employee of this company was that they had uh, liberty to uh, test my urine at will. And I was terrified that to get this job, they were going to make me uh, do a urinalysis. And, uh, I mean, I was just praying that somehow or other I would avoid that. But, in fact, I, what I did was I just signed a piece of paper saying that I was willing to do that. But they'd never actually tested me. But I knew that the gig was up and that I needed to get clean and sober. But the problem – or clean. The problem was that um, was that I had never bothered to tell anyone that I was using marijuana. And, uh, and I had been doing it for a year, and I didn't want to tell anybody that I had – screwed up again. So this is really where I want to make uh, a couple of points. One is that this is a we program. It's not an I program. I was going to get clean from marijuana all by myself. I was going to just quit marijuana, just like I had quit smoking cigarettes. You know, I had quit smoking cigarettes 20 years ago, and I didn't need to go to a program. I mean, you know, I, 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 I kind of you know, white knuckled it when I, in the beginning, and then I was just that was it, and I never needed to go to a nicotine anonymous to be able, and that was the same thing I was going to do with marijuana. But you know, I didn't throw out all this. I threw out a lot, a lot of the stuff that I had in my house, but somehow or other, I kept some THC and concentrate around. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. That was just a very curious thing that I happened to not throw away my THC concentrate. And I went to bed um, one evening, and um, it was a Sunday night, and I had been to my AA meeting, and I had absolutely, uh, and I had to go to work the next day, and I had absolutely no intention of getting uh, high. I just, I had no, I had been clean for three weeks on my own, and I had, uh, I had no intention when I went to bed of getting high, but I was lying in my bed. And all of a sudden, it just hit me like a lightning bolt. Like, I am going to get high. And I uh, went from the, uh, from the upper floor of my house to the floor just below, and I went immediately into the refrigerator and pulled out the THC concentrate that I had there. And I had maintained, I had kept all the implements that you need to be able to use that, and I got myself just higher than a kite. So what I want to tell you is that, um, um, you know, you will be amazed before you're halfway through because I was um, blown away that I had no intention whatsoever of getting high and that I was now completely, absolutely uh, just you know, floating on the clouds just way over Washington, D.C., and I did not want to do this again. And I, uh, my nephew, uh, I'm pretty close to my nephew, and I actually said, I need to tell somebody, I need to tell my sponsor, 
But I decided what I was going to do is I was going to tell my nephew first, who's not an addict, uh, but he's a Presbyterian minister, uh, and we're very close. And um, I was going to work my way up to my sponsor. So I told my sponsor, I mean, I told my, uh, my nephew, and my nephew told me to pray. And I know I was high, and, I, you know, I, I'm totally willing to say this is just a high experience. But I had something of a mystical experience when I was praying, which was the first time that I had prayed in quite a while. You know, I have a great devotion to uh, all these wonderful people in the Catholic Church who lived their lives heroically, uh, you know, with, a, with an absolute riveted focus on uh, knowing their higher power absolutely and perfectly and, and completely and totally. Uh, you know, the people that, that the church calls saints. And I have a lot of ones that are real favorites of mine that I actually had, you know, before prayed to on uh, a daily basis, asking them for, uh, for you know, help with, with this virtue and that virtue and this sin and that sin. And, um, and uh, all of a sudden, it seemed to me like they were all a single united voice speaking to me. And they said three things to me. He said to me, we love you, we've been praying for you, and you need to, and you need to get clean. <laughs> and he said that to me like over and over again. Now, I admit I was high and, you know, maybe I was just hallucinating or whatever, but it was a beautiful hallucination and it was the truth. I knew that they loved me. I knew that they had been praying for me, and I knew that I needed to get clean and sober, and that the only way that I could do that is by um, by telling people that I was having a problem. And so, you know, over the next 24 hours, I, uh, you know, I told one friend who was not in the program, uh, who kind of disapproved, who knew that I, I was smoking and didn't and didn't approve of it. And then I told another friend who was in the program who had had his own problem with relapsing on uh, marijuana and then got uh, clean again. And then I told another friend who hadn't had that problem. And then uh, I told another uh, friend who had been sober for like 25 years. And she asked me, she said, well, have you told your sponsor yet? And I said, no. And she said, well, you need to do that. And I said, well, I can't do that. I, I just, I'm not. And then she said, well, then you need to pray that you can do that. And then I said, okay, I will pray that I could do that. And I prayed that I could do that. And then I immediately did that uh, after I prayed it. And so I, uh, you know, and this time I changed, I mean, this time, um, this time he was nails with me, you know, I mean, you know, he wasn't going to let me slough off while I haven't had a drink and, and, almost 25 years kind of like, you know, we'll give you a pass for this kind of, or we won't talk about it, we won't think about it. You need to be radically honest about what's going on in your life. You need to tell people about it, and you need to um, you need to start working the steps all over again from ground up, and I did. You know, I did one, two, three, four, and I did, I did a fourth step that was so thoroughly honest that was just – I mean, all this garbage that was in my life that I had never, ever told anyone about. I mean, and uh, and I did a fifth step with him. And my sponsor, who, you know, has, I think he's got 35 years of sobriety, 
and he's heard a lot of footsteps. He uh, he has told me that it was the most honest footstep he had ever heard in his life, and uh, and I intended for it to be that. I mean, I told some pretty gruesome, ugly stuff that was just very uh, embarrassing to do, but I was determined that I was going to get rid of all of the stuff that was buried in me. So I went rolling along. That's when I showed up at Marijuana Anonymous, and I started, like, chairing meetings and stuff like that. And I kept going for about, like, I got, like, 10 months. And then um, and then I just got hit one day with uh, with the fuck it. And, uh, you know, it was uh, the winter time. It was November, and it was getting dark. And I have seasonal affective disorder. And uh, I was really depressed, and I, I wasn't able to manage my depression. And... Um, and so, um, so I smoked uh, twice on uh, the week of my birthday in 2019. I smoked on uh, November the 20th and November the 22nd. And the reason I'm able to pinpoint that was that my birthday was Saturday, November the 23rd, and I smoked on the Wednesday and I smoked on the uh, Friday. And the second time that I smoked, I said I am going to smoke this second time, but when I'm high. I am going to tell my sponsor that I'm high and I'm going to call this outpatient treatment program in the Washington, D.C. area that's pretty famous in the D.C. area and I'm getting myself uh, hooked up with a, a treatment program. So um, so my anniversary is November the 23rd, uh, uh, 2019, and I have been uh, rigorously clean and sober uh, ever since then um, without any mind or motels and chemicals other than uh, caffeine, which, you know, I probably use a little abusively, but not as badly as I did uh, before. And I have uh, made it a uh, point to uh, to be a uh, consistent member of Marijuana Anonymous who speaks up, uh, you know, relatively frequently in meetings and uh, does show up to do, uh, you know, to chair, uh, you know, one or two meetings a week, and to be uh, a, a a voice on the phones that uh, people know and and anticipate that they're going to, um, you know, hear. You know that they're like, I don't want people to be surprised. Like, oh, there's Mike. I wonder where he's been. So I, in general, I go to uh, one meeting of Marijuana Anonymous every day and one meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous every day. And the way that uh, I'm able to do that, of course, is that we've moved to these electronic platforms, which makes negotiating, you know, multiple meetings in a day a lot easier process than it used to be. And so I keep hearing the, uh, the message, and I need to hear the message because, you know, um, for me, these meetings are my second step. You know, I uh, do not think like uh, the program of uh, the 12-step program. I do not think like a 12-step person. I am a person who knows the way that 12-step people uh, talk in, in, in meetings. I know it very well, and I know that a lot of people uh, really, really live it in their marrow and that they become the steps, you know, like destroy the big book and you could read reconstruct the big book by by uh, reading these, this person's life. I am not that guy. I am a person who needs to hear the message over and over and over again because my thinking can get really screwed up and, like, can kind of stray away 
and get away from the message. And if I'm not listening to you guys on a regular basis and hearing how it is that you manage your life without using substances, you know, I'm like getting really a lot closer to using the substance if I'm not hearing the message on a regular and recurring basis. So with uh, all of that, I just wanted to say that I stayed in uh, this Colmac treatment program for uh, for a year and a half. Uh, I graduated from continuing care a couple of months ago. I will say that uh, the pandemic, for what a disaster it was, um, it has been in so many different respects, that the one thing that it actually really did do was allow me to go to a lot of meetings. Uh, and, and that was how I stayed sane during this entire, this entire you know, ongoing uh, nightmare of the pandemic by listening into people's voices and, uh, and tuning into how it is that people were staying in tune with their higher power in the midst of something that was extremely stressful. So with that, I am going to shut up and uh, let people uh, claim their seats and uh, and thank you for letting me be uh, clean and sober for another day because uh, I cannot do uh, what we can do, and I appreciate it. Thanks.